Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. The sermon passage this morning, I think I put it in the bulletin, so maybe it's not so much of a surprise, is Luke chapter 1. Verses 39 through 45. And let me read that one more time to make sure it's fresh on our ears. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told of her from the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And may our minds be turned to Christ. That when we read the Holy Scriptures and we dwell on your word, that all our, th- all our thoughts and all our actions will be oriented toward that one true Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the God we serve, a God of hope, a God who fills us with joy and peace in believing, that gives us joy and fills us with his Holy Spirit. And this is not what we see in this passage this morning in Luke chapter 1. He fills us with joy and peace in believing so that we may abound in hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when we read the narratives of Scripture... Narratives like what we read this morning involving Mary and Elizabeth, we have to keep this truth in the back of our minds. We have to keep this truth that God is a God of hope. Or else the behavior makes no sense. The behavior of these two women makes little sense without that truth. We serve a God of hope and joy and peace, and when we serve Him in faith, we receive that hope, joy, and peace in our own lives. So in the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth, we see the fulfillment of old Israel's hope and the beginning of a new hope for a new world. The child in Mary's womb is hope embodied, hope that has taken on flesh. The blessings that Mary and Elizabeth have received are only blessings because of this Christ. Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the baptizer, or John the forerunner, and Mary who's pregnant with our Lord Jesus Christ, are in the presence of the one who is is the fulfillment of the world's hope and expectations. The groanings of creation are put to rest in this pre-born child named Jesus. The old age is meeting the new. And these narratives are meant to point us to these types of truths and ultimately to Christ Jesus himself. Now, the church is the fulfillment of Mary, 
who carries the blessing of Christ for the world. The church bears the gifts and the promises of Jesus to be received by joyful faith. We must not flip those two types around. We must not elevate one above the other. We should elevate the church above Mary, but we should not elevate Mary above the church. In order to see this, we have to first get a grasp of what is happening in this narrative. We have to understand what is taking place, what what historically is happening here. Well, if we look previously, before verse 39, we see that the angel Gabriel had just delivered the news that the Christ would be born to Mary. He delivered that news to Mary herself. And the joyous news of her cousin Elizabeth conceiving a son in her old age is given as well. So right from the start, we have this dichotomy between the young Mary and the older Elizabeth. Mary with the coming Messiah and Elizabeth with the last Old Testament prophet. The old versus the new. And in response to this wonderful news, Mary packs up her things and she went to visit family, specifically Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Now, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, an older cousin. And apparently she lived in Judah. Not, we're not given the exact location of, in Judah. But that doesn't seem to be important as the fact that Mary left quickly. She left in a hurry for the hills of Judah with some good news. And Elizabeth seemed ready to hear these, this news. So ready, in fact, that being filled with the Holy Spirit, she cried out, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now the greeting, as we, we don't know what was involved in the greeting, but I'm sure that she either saw Mary showing or she knew from the Spirit. Either way, it doesn't really matter. She knew the news already. She knew somehow that Mary was pregnant. Either news travels fast in the backwoods of Judah or the Spirit informed her that she's pregnant or... It was that she was showing and that it was obvious. Probably the latter. Either way, she knew and she was excited. And there's more than one response here than Mary's or Elizabeth's response to Mary. There's more than one response to the greeting of Mary recorded by Luke. Not only did Elizabeth shout with joy, but her son John leaped in the womb. Now, we've, I've had a few kids in my day. Unfortunately, they're sick this morning, but, but I've had a few, and, and I have noticed that they often move in the womb, right? I'm sure many of you have noticed that as well. It seems to be common that babies jump around, kick, and do interesting things while they're in the womb. There is only one way to interpret the movement that Luke is mentioning here, though. There's only one way to interpret the movement, and it was because John was experiencing some joy in some way. Remember, uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit when she says this. This is not just merely, merely guessing, right? I, uh, sometimes we guess what the child may be thinking or experiencing in the womb. In this particular situation, there's no guessing. There's only one way to interpret it. Neither John nor Elizabeth saw Jesus... They saw Mary and that she was pregnant, but they, could not, but they could not see Jesus. And yet they were so overjoyed, not primarily with Mary, but with the child, the news that Mary carried with her. So the joy that's being expressed by John, the joy that's being expressed by Elizabeth, is not in response to Mary herself, but in response to the news and 
the Christ that she is carrying. Now the word and in Greek can uh, often be translated as for. And there's much evidence that Elizabeth's exclamation, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, should actually be read, blessed are you among women for blessed is the fruit of your womb. Everyone there knew that the blessing is Christ and Christ himself. And in response to Christ, they show joy, humility, and faith. If you remember the words of Elizabeth, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Showing humility and faith. And that the object of their joy, again, is Christ. The object of their joy is Christ. Imagine for a minute... Just, just practically, and just remember that these people that we're speaking of are real people who really existed and had real feelings and interacted like normal human beings. That we have an elderly woman, elderly woman given a precious gift of a son that she had, she had been barren her whole life, right? And she's given this beautiful gift from God, a son. She did not spend one second on herself, though. When Mary comes in, with her blessing, she did not spend one second on her blessing and her gift from God, but on Mary and her gift and the gift to the whole world. She did not get upset when Mary sang a song about her son shortly after coming into her house. Think about that. You have, you have this greeting. Mary comes. You have received this blessing from the Lord that's obvious to everyone. You want to you share that joy with her, and yet you share in her joy. You share in her joy, and, and you probably even join in on the song that she, rent, she probably wrote on the way up, right? You join in with the joy that is uh, given to Mary. She was content with her blessing from God. She didn't need to add to it with the praises from others. And the reason is because of her faith. She knew that all good things come from above, and that the greatest blessing... The one from whom all blessing flows is in the room with her right now. That was enough for her. She didn't, she didn't try to, to, uh, to take any of the glory away from Mary. She participated in it. Now when we know what is happening in this passage, and we can kind of see the scene in our minds, then we need to ask the question, what are we to believe about this? What are we to believe about this scene? And in order to understand that, we have to look at similar themes and similar scenes in the scriptures, because this is how God works. He speaks over and over again in different, uh, different events, but same themes. He likes to bring about the same imagery. And one such theme has been mentioned before in one of our Sunday school classes recently, um, and if you've heard this, I apologize, but you'll have to hear it again, is the connection of the Ark of the Covenant and Mary. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant, which carried the law of Moses, it carried Aaron's budded staff, and it carried the manna from heaven, traveled to the house of Obed-Edom in the hills of Judea. The same location. King David, dressed like a priest, and if you remember that uh, John the baptizer is the son of a priest, David is dressed like a priest, and he leaps for joy in the presence of the Ark, just as Elizabeth does. David then asks, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Just as Elizabeth asked of Mary, how can the mother of my Lord come to me? 
Just as Mary remained in, uh, with Zechariah and Elizabeth for three months, we see that at, the, at verse 56, the ark remained in Obed-Edom for three months. The ark blessed the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah during their time, and the ark was returned to Jerusalem just as Mary returned to Jerusalem to present the newborn Christ at the temple. So we see this obvious imagery that's taking place. It doesn't mean that Mary is somehow superhuman or to be elevated over other humans, but it means that she's being used for a particular purpose, a particular image. And what this points us to is, not the, again, not the significance of Mary. The ark was created to carry the presence of God in the midst of the people. It was where God sat. It was where God resided. And for that, it was holy and set apart. But it wasn't because of the gold, it wasn't because of the wood of the ark, that it was holy and set apart. Nothing in Mary sets her apart as most blessed among women. She is only most blessed because she carried blessing incarnate. And Mary herself is but a type of the blessed body of Christ, the church. The church is most blessed among women, carrying Christ until his second appearing, and the mother of all those who believe in Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, we see this motherhood language used again with other women involving the covenants of, of old. Paul points us to two different mothers when talking about the covenant promises of God, Sarah and Hagar. And Paul tells us that the church is the new Jerusalem above. And it's corresponding to Sarah, who is a free woman, whose children are not under the bondage of the law, but, but under the grace of the promises of God. And this new Jerusalem is the mother of us all, Paul says. This sort of, in, this sort of imagery is meant for us to think about, it's meant for us to dwell upon. And it makes sense, because earlier in Galatians, our Lord Jesus was called the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. And in this seed... We are all counted children of Abraham by faith. The church, then, is a mother to us all. We are born again in Christ to be nurtured by the church and brought up in the faith and by the Spirit of God. So when we look at Mary, we should not deify her or elevate her above the church. She is but a shadow, a representation of the church's role in the world. And yet, we should honor her for her faith and devotion to our God. She truly was the most blessed among women. But the ark is not only the image, is not the only image that's tied to Mary and her role. She carried and nurtured Christ and is a type of the church, but there is another passage in scripture that uses the blessed among women language to describe this woman or describe a woman. That's Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. Judge Deborah bursts into song, and she describes a popular, uh, popular woman among, uh, among young children. We love this story, to be able to tell the story. Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. And, and Deborah describes her as the most blessed among women. The same exact phrase. She is counted most blessed for her killing of Sisera with a tin peg to his temple. Again, a wonderful story to tell your children right before bed. And in Mary's task of rearing Jesus, in Mary's task of rearing Jesus, she participates in the crushing of the serpent's head. 
Jesus came to conquer sin, Satan, and death. To crush the head of the serpent. And Mary gets to play a role in that fight. She gets to participate in that fight in a unique way. The simple, natural role of being a mother is used to help crush the head of Satan. And in a similar way, all Christian mothers follow in her training. Raising young boys and girls in the faith of Christ, advancing his kingdom, and helping to put all enemies under the feet of King Jesus. Putting a tent peg in the temple of the devil. The Lord uses simple, faithful people for his good purposes. And that's what we should see here and believe here in this narrative of Mary and Elizabeth. But what, what, we can often, what can often be perceived as small acts of faith, things like motherhood and faithful motherhood, blessings from God for the opportunity to be a mother, or maybe, maybe things like receiving and rejoicing with those who rejoice without expectation of anything returned, small things like that, small acts of faith, are sources of real joy for the Christian. Joy is a mark of true faith because joy is, proper, is the proper response to the presence of Christ. So like John, what are we to do? We are to leap with joy at the chance to be near Christ and to be near his people. We should joyfully labor in our respective vocations and roles because we know that God has given them for our joy and for our good and for the building up of our faith and for the hope of things to come. And because the mundane task of life can be sources of joy when done in faith, we are not to envy the blessings of others. Like Elizabeth, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. So instead of striking the joys of others down because you wish that your life was like theirs, we are to share in the joy and add to it, add on top of it, give more joy to the situation. Heap more blessings upon their blessings. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And this is what the church is for. Blessing one another with the joy and faith of Christ. The way to meeting others' joys with more joy is to look, at, look to Christ as the source of all your blessing and goodness. In other words, know and love your role in all of this. In, all, in the whole grand scheme of things. Know your role and love it. Take joy in it. Yeah, you may not have something that the other person has. You may not have been blessed with all the children that other people have been blessed with. You may not have been blessed with a husband or a wife. You may not have been blessed with all of these other blessings that everyone partakes of. But what are you to do? You are to heap joy upon joy. Add to those joys. Elizabeth, again, knew her role. John was not the coming Messiah. John was not even worthy to to loose the sandals of this Lord. But the one who would prepare the way of Christ. He was the one to do in the hard hard work, the hard labor, the, the thankless job of calling people to repentance. But he knew his role. Elizabeth was not giving birth to Christ. But she looked to Christ for the source of her joy and her blessings. The Lord had given her so much. And she looked to the giver of those gifts over the gifts themselves. And she didn't despise her station either. She didn't despise her role, but rejoiced in it. And that's something that we can take with us in whatever situation we're in. Whatever situation of life we're in. 
Are you content in whatever station of life our Lord has placed you? Do you despise the happiness of other Christians because you want what they have? Because you, you envy the blessings the Lord has given them? The answer is that you already have what they have. You already have what they have. You have Christ, the source of their blessings. So in light of this, what are we to hope for? Well, our hope, as I've been saying this morning, is in Christ and in His appearing. In His appearing. And the church, more than any other people, should be marked by an ever-present joy in that hope. We should long for His appearing. We should desire it. We should look for it. This doesn't mean that you have to be smiling all the time. But it does mean that you should not be bent toward sorrow or ingratitude. But that your life should be bent toward joy. The church carries the gifts and promises of God because she carries Christ. And Christ is always in our midst. In times of conflict, Christ is there calling you to never forget the Lord in His ways. In times of comfort, He is there, calling you to remember His ways. In times of stress, Christ is there, spreading a table of joy and strength in the presence of your enemies. In times of mourning, Christ is there, knowing every pain and sorrow that you feel. In times of joy, Christ is there rejoicing with you, Keeping blessing upon blessing. Our hope and joy has drawn near to us. And he has given us a spirit to respond with joy and expectation. And that is our duty. And this is precisely one of the reasons why the spirit is given to the church. To fill the earth with the joys of God until the fullness of that joy comes again. And we do this by being like Christ. Being a source of joy and blessing and peace for those around us. And we all know the feeling. When you come home from a long day of work, you're, you're, you're frustrated, you're angry. You're the one person in the house who's bitter, angry, discontent. And the whole house feels it. And you know that the whole house feels it. The whole house is affected by your, mis- by your misery. And this is true of the church as well. The common theme in Scripture is that the church should be united in sharing joy. They should be united in sharing mourning, in sharing sufferings, in delights, in burdens, in feasts. In all things, we should be one. And this is because we are united by the same Spirit and given the same hope. The hope of Christ coming again to put to death sin, Satan, and death forever. And we are united by one spirit to share in the same life with one another. So like Elizabeth, when we're greeted with joy upon joy, we are to share in that joy. Don't be a a party pooper, right? Don't ruin the party. Join in on the party. When there's a feast, laugh, enjoy, enjoy, have fun. When someone is mourning, weep with those who weep. Share in their sufferings. That is what we must do together, because that is what we are bound by. The same Spirit of Christ. 
But in response to this, can we echo the words of the psalmist? Can we echo these words? In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can you echo that verse? Does your life exhibit that? That there is fullness of joy at God's right hand. In the presence of Christ. The Lord's coming means that joy has come. At God's right hand, where we sit in Christ... Our pleasures forevermore is a scene in our lives. Can the world around us say of the church, blessed are you, for blessed is the fruit of your womb? Will the world experience our joy or our grumbling, our delight in the presence of Christ or our discontent? Is our hope palpable? Can people feel it? Can we feel it in our interactions with one another? Can we see it in our countenances? Are you cast down all the time? Are you generally miserable? Can you hear it in our greetings, in our songs and prayers and conversations? Can you hear the joy of Christ? Again, this isn't about smiling all the time or about being happy all the time. Can people feel and experience the hope of Christ in your life? Of course, joy is not, again, always shouting and leaping and laughing. Joy is sometimes solemn, sometimes buried under grief, sometimes hidden from external emotions. But it should be there nonetheless. And if it isn't, it may be time to ask the psalmist's question, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. If you are cast down, if your countenance is low, ask that question to yourself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? For I shall yet praise Him, who is the help of my countenance, the help out of my misery, and my God. Do you not know that the hope has come? The help of your countenance, your God, has come. In Jesus. And this same Jesus is here with you in every circumstance, in every situation. So, my charge to you this morning is to look to Christ in faith, to leap for joy, shout his praises, for your joy and hope has come in the person of Jesus. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.